0: Our first reading comes from Acts, it's chapter 2, verses 29 to 47. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, And has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, Both Lord and Christ when the people heard this they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other Apostles brothers what shall we do Peter replied repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were saved.
1: second reading this morning is taken um, from the letter to the Thessalonians, so it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, the whole chapter, so you've got your Bibles. Paul, Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivered us from the wrath to come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for the Holy Scriptures, and Father, we just pray that you bless your word to our hearts this morning. Father, we just ask now that you would send your spirit out upon us, Lord that you would be at work in each of our hearts, Lord, through your word and by your spirit. Lord, I just pray for myself, Lord, I ask for your spirit to empower me and to give me the words that you want me to speak this morning, Lord. And We pray that you would be glorified. We pray, Lord God, that you would be touching each of our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk this morning about um, what it is to be a spirit-filled church. And what it means to be a spirit-filled person. Um, I, I do Bible studies in Strange Ways Prison. And uh, when I, uh, I go onto the wings, and we we, keep, we just work with the men there. The men come into the Bible study in the prison. And uh, recently, about a month or so ago, I got moved from one wing to another wing. And I'm starting a new group in the prison. And uh, the first thing you do when you, you meet some new prisoners is ask them, well, where are they at spiritually? You know, do they know the Bible? Have they read the Bible before? Would they count themselves as a Christian? And you just try and get a, a sort of feel for where these men are at. And uh, a month or so ago, I got this new group started, and uh, there was a man there, and he says, he says, oh yeah, I'm a born-again believer, and I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And I said, well, that's great. That's really encouraging to hear that. And some of the other men shared where they were at. But you know, when someone says something like that to you, you want to see the evidence for that, don't you? If someone says, well, I'm born again, and I've been filled with the Holy Spirit, you'd look for evidence, don't you, in someone's life. And I must admit, over the coming weeks when I've been with this man, you know, he's, he's not shown a great deal of evidence to show that that is true. You know, he doesn't want to pray when we ask in the group. Um, we asked, one week when I went in, one Sunday, uh, one, sorry, one, one Wednesday night I went in, and he said to me, is it strange that I have no desire to want to tell any of the other prisoners about the Lord Jesus Christ? And I said to him, well, yes, because you've told me you're born again and filled with the Spirit. Surely you should want to desi- have a desire to want to share this gospel with others. And um, I sort of try to challenge him a little bit to think about what it really means to be born again and filled with the Spirit. And one man came to the Lord on that wing a couple of weeks ago, and he'd been studying Mark's Gospel with us for some time. And he's come to faith in Christ, and the following week, he brought someone else to the Bible study with him. Straight away, he had a desire to want others to know about this Jesus that had so changed his life. And so I want to think about that this morning. What does a Spirit-filled church look like? Because I think the greatest need in our church at this moment in time is for a fresh move of the Holy Spirit. I have the sort of privilege of preaching in many churches and visiting many churches. And I see many churches are in decline. I see many churches don't have any children's work or youth work. And you think in a few years' time there isn't going to be a church there anymore. And we've seen churches all around us, aren't we, closing and things like that, and being turned into carpet warehouses and turned into mosques and stuff like that. And that grieves me greatly when I see those sort of things happening. And I think the greatest need in this church at the moment in time is for a fresh outpouring of God's Holy Spirit. Hope you agree with me in that. You know, we need a move of God again, don't we, in our church. So what does um, a spirit-filled church look like? What does a spirit-filled individual look like? And if you turn to the Acts reading, Acts chapter 2. Because it's interesting, um, you know, about a month or so, I don't know how, long, how many long ago it was, we had Pentecost Sunday, didn't we? And I presume you probably celebrated that here. And I think in churches all across uh, England will be celebrating the day of Pentecost. But I wondered, you know, when they celebrated and remembered the day of Pentecost, did they encounter God afresh for themselves on that day? Or is it something we just, you know, we remember when we read scriptures? But is it real for us today? Have we encountered Christ ourselves in that way? And as our churches encountered a Pentecost, as, in, as we read in Acts 2, because I want to think about, first of all, what does a Spirit-filled church look like? And the reading we had this morning picks up, really, after the Holy Spirit had been poured out, there's this great crowd in Jerusalem, and they're all wondering, what does this mean? What is this sign? And Peter stands up, and he preaches his first sermon that's recorded for us in the Acts of the Apostles. And he's preaching to this huge crowd. And it's really interesting when you look at what um, Peter preaches. It says, this Jesus, God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And the first thing we see in Peter's life, when the Holy Spirit comes upon him, remember this is the same Peter who denied the Lord not so long ago. And now when he's full of the Spirit, he stood before this crowd and he's preaching, isn't it? He? And he's being a witness to the things that he's seen. He said, we've seen this Jesus raised up from the dead. And we are witnesses to this. And he says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And he's speaking very boldly, isn't he? You think he stood before these huge crowds in Jerusalem. Some of those would have be been the same people who crucified the Lord and yet Peter stood there now in the power of the Spirit preaching this gospel message he says let it be known to all the house of Israel that this Christ has been raised from the dead and this was the Messiah and you crucified him there's a real boldness isn't there in his witness there you know we're thinking about Jonah here you know this morning with the kids talk how Jonah ran away this is not the opposite of someone running away from what God's calling him to do he stood there before the crowds preaching and we're told that as he preaches, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to, the Peter, said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? So as he preached, great conviction came upon the hearts of those that were listening to him that day. And they say to him, What shall we do? And Peter preached, he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit As the conviction of the Holy Spirit came upon his head, he says to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you. And you will receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. And we're told that day that through Christ they could receive forgiveness for their sins. Even though they crucified the Lord, crucified the Messiah, he says, you can receive forgiveness. Just repent. Turn from your sinful life and turn to God. And be baptized. And we're told... 3,000 people were added to the church that day. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? And he said, with many other words, he bore witness and continued to testify about the Lord to these people. And that's a sign for me of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we should have a a sort of desire to want to preach this gospel. want to be a witness to what Jesus has done in our life and in the lives of others. But then we see a remarkable thing of what happens to these 3,000 believers. What did they do? What sort of things did these people do when they came to the Lord? Well, we're told, first of all, in verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. We're told that awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done for the apostles. It says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And it's a wonderful picture of this early church. What does the early church do? And we're told, first of all, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They didn't have the Bible as we have it in that time. They only had the Old Testament. But they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And the apostles would have been teaching them about the Lord Jesus Christ. They would have been telling them about what the Jesus did, the miracles he did, the teachings that Jesus gave. And these people were soaking it up. They were devoted. They wanted to hear the apostles teaching them about the Lord Jesus Christ. It says with, they were devoted as well to prayer. They were devoted to the fellowship, wanting to be together as believers in Christ. You know, in many churches, many churches only meet on a Sunday morning, and that's it. It's so great to see that you're having a barbecue afterwards and wanting to fellowship together. That's what this early church did. But the early church was also devoted to prayer. Devoted to prayer. You know, if you're devoted to something, you love doing it, don't you? You want to do it. And I think the challenge for all of us, we've just been singing that kid song, which is quite powerful in a way, because it talks about wanting to read the Bible day by day, wanting to pray day by day, wanting to be a part of God's family, isn't it? And that's what we see in this early church. When the Spirit had come upon them, they devoted themselves to these things. And the question we need to ask ourselves, I suppose, as a spirit-filled believer, how devoted am I to the Word of God? Do I have a longing to hear the Scripture being taught and preached? Do I have a devotion to want to come to a prayer meeting and to pray on my own at home? Am I devoted to wanting to have fellowship with other Christians and to be with other believers, to break bread together, to share meals with one another? It said they went to the temple day by day, they even sold their possessions. If anyone was in need, they would share their possessions with one another. I never, I never forget, a few years ago, I was in church one day, and it, was, it wasn't like this, not a sunny day. It was pouring it down. And this bloke in the church stood worshipping God, and he's in his slippers. And I thought that's a bit of an odd thing to come to church in your slippers, particularly when it's raining. And I went up to him after the service. I said, why are you wearing slippers today? It's throwing it down outside. And he said, because I've got no shoes, and I can't afford to buy any shoes. You know, there's a great need there in the church, a practical need which we're able to meet. But I believe in every church there's needs all around us. But would we be willing to sell some of our possessions in order to go and meet someone else's need? It's quite radical, isn't it, when you think about it? This isn't what people normally do, is it? You know, And yet we're so self-centered at times, we want the latest iPod, the latest iPhone thing, or the latest big surround sound TV and all that sort of stuff. But are we willing to sell some of our gear in order to support someone else? You know, we've got a brother who's fasting and praying to help raise money for Malawi. That's a great thing. But are are we willing to generously give and support that work? Are we willing to give up some of our own possessions in order to meet the needs of others that are around us? And this is what we see the early church like. They just seem to be devoted to these things. They lived in a way that was radical. Absolutely radical and it says that they had great awe they were in awe of God because God was working miracles in their church at that time there were signs and wonders being done through the apostles and I believe God still still does signs and wonders and miracles in his church today he still heals people today know, I was in a church not so long ago when I was preaching and I felt led by the Holy Spirit to offer to pray for the sick at the end of the service and there was a lady that came forward in her 80s and she hobbled down to the front and sat on the front row and asked if I'd pray with her and she needed a new knee. But she was too old to have the operation because the doctor said, there's no way you'll survive the operation. And we just prayed for that lady. And in the week, she phoned me up and she says, I don't know if you remember me. I said, of course I remember you. I only prayed for you on Sunday. She said, my leg's been totally healed. And she, you know, she had, to, had two handrails to get up the stairs to get to bed. And she, when she got to bed, she had to lift her leg into the bed. And she was in absolute agony. And now she can just go up and down the stairs, she gets into bed, she's got no pain. And the amazing thing is, her son goes to that church and he was away on holiday when this happened. And he came back and the first thing his mother did, who's in his 80s, was start bouncing a ball underneath her legs like this. He says, what are you doing, mother? She says, my leg's been totally healed. God still heals today. There's miracles. We should expect to see miracles in a spirit-filled church, I believe that. And the people here were in awe of God or in what God was doing in their midst. God was moving mightily in power at this time in his church. And I just want to say that their lifestyle of this church was radical. There was real evidence, if you like, that these people have been filled with the Spirit of God. One of the men in prison said to me once, he said, you know, if we were taken to court, he said, would there be enough evidence to convict us of being Christians? It's quite an interesting thing, one of the men in the Bible study in prison said that. And I think that, you know, if someone looked through your checkbook, would there be enough evidence in your checkbook to show that you're a true Christian? Because very often our wallet is the last thing that gets converted, isn't it? You know? But here, in this church, you see the evidence that there's been a move of the Holy Spirit. And it's very, very clear evidence, isn't it? It's radical lifestyle changes as people have encountered Christ and the Holy Spirit. And then you think, well, is that just that church at that time? You know, are we to expect this all the time? And that's why I wanted to look at that over-reading in 1 Thessalonians. Because I don't know if you know the story to the background of this, but in Acts 17, we're told that Paul went to Thessalonica and he preached in the synagogue for three Sabbath days. And they said that at the end of that preaching, there was a few Jews got converted and a few God-fearing Gentiles got converted. But then the rest of the Jews in that town formed a mob and a riot took place and Paul had to flee for his life from there. And Paul's writing this letter from prison and he sent Timothy to this church at Thessalonica to see what happened to the church. And Timothy had come back and reported to Paul what he'd seen in that church. And Paul then, in response to what he hears hears from Timothy, writes this letter. And I think it's remarkable because first of all, Paul says, after his initial greeting, he says, We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly, mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labour of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse four, he said something really interesting. He says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you. Paul was utterly convinced that God had chosen these people. And you're thinking, well, how can he be so certain? How can he be so certain that these people have been called by God, that they've been chosen, that they are his elect? How can he be so certain of that? What is the evidence that Paul looks for? And he goes on to say this, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. The first evidence that Paul notices is that when he preached the gospel in the first place, it came with power. It came with full conviction in the hearts of those that were listening. It's a bit like the Acts reading, isn't it? When the message was preached, conviction came upon the hearts. As we preach in the power of the Spirit, we want to see God convicting people of, of His truth, of His Word. And it said it came in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we want, isn't it? When we preach and witness to others, we want it to be in the power of the Spirit, not in the power of our own flesh, our own clever strategies or anything like that. And this is what Paul sees. This is the first evidence that the Gospel, when it was preached, came in not only word only, But it came in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. And then he goes on, he says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. The next lot of evidence that Paul sees, he says, is that you started to imitate our lives. and Not only our lives, but you started to imitate the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And isn't that what what you want in your church? When someone comes to faith in Christ, you want them to grow and to mature in their faith and to start to imitate the lives of godly people in your church, isn't it? But more importantly than that, you want them to imitate the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, don't you? And that's what Paul saw in these believers at Thessalonica. He says, "You, you started to imitate our lives. You started to imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think we need to see that more and more in our churches Today. We want to see people maturing in their faith and imitating the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's further evidence. He says, when the persecution came and the affliction came upon you, they still had the joy of the Holy Spirit. Because this is a church that when it was planted, when it was started, great persecution came upon the church immediately. And he said, but you carried on despite that. And you had this joy of the Holy Spirit in your hearts. And that's amazing, isn't it? When we face difficulty, when we face opposition for the gospel, do we still have that joy in our hearts of the Holy Spirit? Or do we at that time turn away from the Lord? And that's the other evidence that Paul sees. Then he goes on to say, not only did they imitate Paul and Jesus, not only did they have this joy of the Holy Spirit, it says that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so we need say not anything. They became an example to others. And that's what you want to see as well, isn't it? That when people come to Christ, that they become an example to others, what it really means to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not what it means just to be a churchgoer on a Sunday, because I think we're talking about something here totally different from that. And he says, not only did you become an example to others, but this gospel has rung out, it's gone forth into other areas, into other regions. And that's a challenge to us all, isn't it? I mean, this is quite a lively church. It's a good church, I believe, to belong to. But is the gospel going out from this place into other areas? Is it ringing forth into other parts? Because that's what this church at Thessalonica did. They came an example to others, and they took the word of God into other places. So Paul said, I didn't have to tell anyone else about your faith because people already know about it because you already, people have already heard about your faith. They've already heard about the gospel. And not only that, he saw genuine repentance in this church. He says, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. He saw genuine repentance in this church. That people had turned from the idols they used to bow down to and worship, and they turned from them things and turned to the true living God. There was genuine repentance in that church. There was a change of lifestyle. Now we don't tend to worship idols in the sense that we don't carve something for ourselves this day. Although we surrounded—I mean, I live in Old Chaffin. and I've got people of other faiths that do bow down to all sorts of little you know, carved imagery and things like that. And as I preach the gospel there, I want to see people forsaking these idols, these dumb idols which are useless, and worshipping the one true God. But you know, if we are not careful, we can get idols in a different sense. You know, we can start to worship pop stars or football stars. Anything really that takes the place of Jesus being number one in our life becomes an idol. You know, and I'm going to watch the football this afternoon, so I'm not knocking, you know, I'm watching a bit bit of the football or anything like that. But you know when something becomes an idol, that that takes the place of Christ in your life. Jesus wants to be number one in each of our lives. And so if there's anything else that is taking that place, you've got an idol in your life and you need to turn from it and get right with God again. And in the last evidence that he sees, in verse 10, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. These people in this church were waiting for the Lord's return. This was the hope that they had. This is the hope that we have as believers today, isn't it? How much are we longing for Christ's return? And he says, when Christ returns, he will deliver us from the wrath or the judgment that's going to come. There is a judgment coming upon this earth and upon those who do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. This is what he's talking about here. But in Christ, we've been delivered from that judgment. We've been delivered from the wrath of God that's going to be poured out. And he saw that in this church. They had this expectation, this longing for Christ's return. They were longing for that day. And I think in these two churches, you can see clear evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit. And I guess we have to ask ourselves is this our church? Is this the church that I go to? Am I living in this way? Am I being a good model to someone else? Am I being a good example to someone else in the way that I pray, the way that I read the the scriptures, the way that I'm devoted to want to have fellowship with other believers? Only you can answer that, I don't know. And I think there's a number of things I want to just finish with today. If you're here this morning, and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, I want to say to you, there's great news for you, there's good news, because Jesus said, if you trust in me, you can receive forgiveness for your sins. That's called repentance. Turning away from your old lifestyle and saying, yeah, I want to follow Christ now. Repent and believe. It's like having a change of heart, a change of direction in your life. You might have been living your life to please yourself and God says, turn and turn to me and you'll be forgiven. And you'll receive this promise of the Holy Spirit too. And in fact, to you, I just encourage you today to get your life right with Christ. He's a wonderful saviour. He's come to forgive us and cleanse us and to heal us of our sin. And to give us a new life, a new start. And that's wonderful. You know, I was at a meeting last night at a church. I had a barbecue. And he had a guy showing his testimony last night. And it was, what was amazing about it, he's called it from alcoholism to Africa. And this man had been an alcoholic most of his life. And he'd been into drugs as well as alcohol. And he'd just been an absolute wreck. He'd been sleeping rough for many, many years. He ended up in and out of prison many, many times. And eventually one day he came to his senses and he trusted Christ. And Christ set him free from all his addictions, literally overnight. And he's now a missionary working in Africa. He's from Warrington, he's only up the road, John Carr is his name. And he's written a book as well. And he was sharing about what God is doing in his life now. And he says what he couldn't believe is how God could take a man like him, who'd been an alcoholic all his life, and had completely transformed his life now to serve God. And he was saying, isn't that amazing? Isn't God's grace amazing? And it's been used in a wonderful way by God now. God wants to transform our lives through the power of this gospel. But maybe, as you've heard this message, you're thinking, "You know, I used to be on fire for God like this. Yeah, I knew what it, I know what it is to be filled with the Spirit. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit in 1993, and it was a powerful encounter with God. And His Spirit just came upon me, and it was whilst I was out selling window blinds in someone's house." And the Spirit of God, they were Christians, they led me to the Lord and they prayed for me to be filled with the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came in power on my life. And that's what changed my life. But that was a long, long time ago. Are we still full of the Spirit today? Are we still got those same godly desires that we once had maybe? Maybe you've gone a bit dry in your walk with the Lord. Why not turn to Him today and say, yeah, come and fill me afresh. Or maybe you're on fire for God today and that's great if you are. But I would encourage you to continue to to be an example to others you know how many in our churches these days act as mentors to somebody else you know how many of you take young Christians under your wing to teach and train and nurture them in the ways of the Lord and I think that's one thing that we're really missing in our churches is godly men and women who are willing to take young people young Christians and teach them how to pray teach them how to read the scripture teach them how to witness to others teach how to live for Christ now we need men and women like that in our church. If you're a mature mature believer, I'll just challenge you today. Are you mentoring and discipling someone at this moment in time? Because I think we should be. I think it's really important that we share the blessings that we receive of others. So I want to leave that in that place. And just thinking, I think, in these passages today, we see what it means to be a spirit-filled church. What that looks like. We also see what it's like to be a spirit-filled individual. Amen. Let's just pray for a few moments and just wait on God. Lord, I thank you for the church here gathered in your name this morning, Lord. You are a mighty God and we praise you and worship you. We thank you for the work that you've been doing in each of our lives, Lord, that sign of grace in our lives, Lord, that evidence of your spirit at work in our lives, Lord. And I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would see more of that evidence, Lord. And Lord, I just ask now, Lord, that you would just come and move by your Holy Spirit, Lord, in each of our hearts. Lord, we want to say you're welcome here this morning, Lord. And I pray, Lord, of his people here that do not know you as Lord and Saviour, God, that you would reveal your love to them, that you would reveal your truth, that you bring conviction to their hearts of the things that have been heard and read this morning. And Lord, if there's people out here this morning who feel dry spiritually, it's been a long time since they've felt the refreshing of your Holy Spirit, then Lord, I just pray that you'd just give them a fresh infilling this morning of your power. And for those, Lord, that feel on fire Lord, who love you and, uh, Lord, just have a real sense of your spirit at work in their lives at this moment in time. Lord, I just pray that you'd encourage them to live a godly example to others, Lord, that take others under their wing to help nurture others, Lord. Lord, we just just come before you, Lord, and we just say, God, would you just come and move amongst us this morning? Lord, we want to leave this place different from how we came in. And, Lord, I just ask Jesus now that you just move by your spirit, that you would come... And have your way here now, Lord. That your will be done, Lord. Just come, Lord.
0: Come, Jesus.